Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. That's my cue, I guess, right? Yeah. No, you're supposed to talk now. You're supposed to talk. Howdy, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France here. I'm here. And in Los Angeles... It I like the way our, you say that. Thank you. It's our friend and very good friend, Todd Roberts. He just paddled his way back from hello. Hawaii. Yes, you just yeah, paddled your I, way back. I, <laughs> yes. And boy, are his well, arms I tired. I paddle much. I, yeah, I made Nola do it all. <laughs> I, I made Nola do all the paddling because, you know, she's a, a, a stage tech. That's you know, right. And, and, they, and they're, they're rough and tough and rumble tumble. They're, yes. Uh, you know, yes. I, I was at the uh, I was at the VA the other day, and uh, uh, they brought in this guy, and uh, I won't go into details over it. But the, the ambulance attendant that walked out, it was a woman, and I swear to God, I have seen, I have not seen arms that big on a woman in my life. I mean, she she rivals firemen. Was she a bodybuilder? I don't know if she, what she was, but big. <laughs> Don't mess with that one, maybe, man. Uh, maybe, maybe she works a steer wrestler or something. Yeah. Steer, steer wrestler. Yeah. There you go. All right. So uh, I do have some stuff. Yeah, here. it is. It is our. Yeah. Uh, Tell uh, us what we're doing, and I'll do what I do. I don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> we're doing. Uh, we're sailing to Colorado today because uh, we can. We can. And uh, basically, we're going to talk about. Uh, Colorado River transportation and commerce mm-hmm. uh, in uh, er, early Arizona history. Steamboat Bill, Steamboat or Bill, Steamboat Willie. never had a girl and he never will. <laughs> or we can get uh, <laughs> Disney with Steamboat Willie there. Yeah. Oh, All yeah. Right, you got well, your... I got a little, uh, just kind of a little uh, scurry back. Uh, the 16th coming up. That's Harry Carey Jr.'s birthday, which uh, it needs to be observed. Yep. And then I got some kind of uh, updating on what's happening with TV westerns. Uh, the series Walker Independence has been canceled. Oh. Probably broke nobody's heart. That was didn't even strange. know it was still on. Yeah, you know, I watched the I watched the pilot and I <laughs> almost died. And then uh, Yellowstone is ending. Yep. But they're going to continue it on. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Here they're in negotiation with Matthew Conaghy, mm-hmm. uh, 1923, with uh, Ford and Marin. Yeah, that's been renewed. Mm-hmm. The Outlander series, which started in England, uh, it ended up with in the American colonies. That's been renewed, but it's for its final season. And then uh, for coming up on this Saturday, May 20th. There's going to be a free outdoor screening at the Empire Ranch down at down at Sonoida. Uh, they recommend you bring your own seating and blanket because it is outdoors. It's the Loft Theater's inflatable screen. They've been doing it several years. It seems to be enjoyed by all. Uh, the film is going to be Gunman's Walk, which was filmed at the Empire. It's a darn good western. It's one of those under-the-radar westerns mm-hmm. that should be seen. It was really good. Possibly Tab Hunter's best movie, I think. Wow. And Van Heflin was just awesome in it. All right. Uh, the Empire Ranch is located on the East Empire Road. That's about uh, seven miles north of Sonoida. It's well-marked. Uh, the screening is part of the Law Film Fest on the road. It's made possible by a grant from the National Endowment of the Arts with support from Desert Diamond Casino and Entertainment. They will have popcorn out there, but they will not have the chuck wagon this year. This year. So bring your own beverages. So bring your own beverages. There's no hard beverages out there. So uh, that's all I'll say. Okay. Bring, uh, oh, conceal the flask. Concealed, concealed uh, carry. <laughs> yeah, that's concealed it. carry. So all I right. Hey, I got something for you here. Mescal Movie Set, uh, they're starting their summer sunset tour schedule and uh, getting getting underway on Saturday the 27th of May. Tours at 6.30 and 7 o'clock, and then they're continuing all the way through the 19th of August. It's a walking tour. It's about a quarter mile long, lasts about an hour. It's 15 bucks a person with uh, kids uh, 10 and under free. 
and it, all proceeds for this are used to renovate the set to attract future film productions, which is something that we really like. Yes. And they do ask that no pets, no smoking, and no weapons, please. Uh, future dates subject to change because of filming production. Uh, and again, they want to, they're committed to doing these tours, but you know, hey, if, uh, a film comes in. That's that's where the bread and butter is. Check so. ahead. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Go to uh, mezcalmovieset.com to find out more information. Mezcalmovieset.com. And they have done wonders out there. The place is looking fantastic. They have a bunch of volunteers that that walk the streets uh, in in costume, and it kind of adds to the atmosphere. So, so if you, you know, drive, if you, you want to see a street walker, go out to Moscow. <laughs> you drive up there and you think you're uh, you've gone back into the 1880s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. It is neat, and it's you know it's, it's you know if I went out there, I think I'd pack a little kind of a picnic uh, supper picnic thing and maybe watch the sunset before you, I head home. You went out there, they'd enlist you to start working. Hmm? If you went out there, you'd have to start working. Well, I turned down a job. I know, Bunker. Todd, th- this is incredible. Bunker called me the other day, and, and we're going to get to our topic in a moment. Bunker called me the other day and said he got a job offer, but he had to turn it down. And, you know, it's a film called The Last Dollar, and it's about a young ga- young boy who is the last dollar. That's the family name. And... Uh, Guy that's the guy that's doing it has done several things here. He worked on the stiff drink movies mm-hmm. and stuff. And you know who knows, you know. But uh, I just didn't think, you know, they wanted me to go out there and do hard riding. And at eighty-two, I don't know how hard my riding would be. I think the ground would be harder than my riding. You could do a bunch of hard falling. Oh can't you? yeah, that's what I told him. I said it's up to you guys. I said I'd, I'd love to do it. I said a little trot down the street up about my my alley now. <laughs> All right, let's, perfect. Let's perfect. Get, let's get to our particular topic, and that is uh, it's all wet. The Colorado River. Uh, it is one of the longest rivers in the world, as a matter of. Fourth. Uh, uh, let me find that. See, sixth largest, sixth longest oh. in the nation, uh, passing through seven states. Wow, really? And two two nations. The uh, Colorado Basin spans 260,000 square miles and about 8% of the continental United States. Uh, That's a parcel of ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Grand Canyon, about 277 miles long, but requires around 650 miles to walk. (laughs) I'll fly, thank you. How many tennis shoes is that? Yeah, I have not a clue. A steamboat would be a better way to travel. I, I think so. Yeah. So anyway, that that's what that's what we got for the Colorado River, sixth longest in the nation, and um, you know there there were there were bunches of uh, well when they figured out that they could use the Colorado, uh, that was for bringing uh, goods that would come up from the Gulf of California. Mm-hmm. The ships would dock, as it were, wherever they were able to. Supplies would be offloaded onto the river craft, and then they'd be taken up the river. I've got a whole bunch of detail on all of that. You go for it, my friend. We can kind of cover that. Uh, As you said, the steamboats were the major, major thing. There were there were ferries on the. that's ferry boats, that is. Were they fabulous? <laughs> uh, you know, because the steamboats didn't didn't ferry people across the river. They just took them up and down. Right. So there was quite a few uh, ferry boats. Lee's Ferry, probably one of the most famous. Yeah, there, there were crossers. I think there were crossers, you know, going from uh, uh, one territory into California or from the territory into California, but I'm not sure exactly where those might have been. Maybe there, there Arizona were, City might have There was a whole bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. And, and Yuma, as we know it today, originally was called Arizona City. Now, some of the major rivers in Arizona at that time, and still today, were the San Pedro, the Santa Cruz, the Colorado, the San Francisco, the Gila, the Salt. And if y'all go into, I'll get into the detail here. Not all of them are still flowing. Yeah. (laughs) Barely, you know, once in a while. 
somebody leaves the tap on. Yeah. Yeah, there was no transportation or trade on the Salt River up until up to the 1800s. Attempts to use the river for commerce failed. It was not navigable or good for such use pre-statehood. The Jesuits pushed up to the Colorado, uh, hoping that it would be a navigable thing for transportation. And, and, and the reason they were having so much trouble navigating the river is because it was constantly changing. Yes. Uh, sandbars uh, would form, would disappear. Um, flooding. Flooding. There would be something that would be a, a hazard to navigation. And so that's why it was so difficult to get up the river. Yeah, and one of the things, too, is that the, the Jesuits, once they got up there, they realized that it was not good for navigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did become a navigation route, but for overland travel, you know, mule, horse, like that. As a secondary yeah, type that of, is, yeah. It was a, as a way of well, going from here, point A to point B mm-hmm. and having water in the desert. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see, what else have I got here? Now, shortly after 1821, uh, the first mountain men arrived along the Gila, and the the first mountain man was a fellow named Sylvester Patty and his son James. They spent the winter of 1825 and 26 trapping on the San Francisco, Gila, and San Pedro rivers, uh, and that was probably the first commerce in Arizona, was you know trading in beaver pelts, taking them out of the state, you know. Uh, and as a side note, the uh, Spanish government didn't know what to do with them because one, they say you know, they far as they were concerned, they didn't have to answer to anybody. They mm. were mountain men. Mm-hmm. They they wouldn't do what they, they didn't were told. pay any customs duty. They didn't pay customs. <laughs> they just ignored them. Now, uh, there's, there's, this is interesting here. There's no reference to any existing steamboat or other water transportation on interior watercourses. Uh, per Oscar Wither, who had a pathfinding book on the study on that. Now, <clears throat> early development of natural resources was held back by lack of good transportation. No navigable stream or rivers were, were there. You know, just bad country to get along. Now, prior to the railroad, the Colorado was an important artery of commerce and entrance to the landlocked Arizona. In the 1860s, sailing vessels from San Francisco's would sail down the coast, pass over California, up the Gulf to the mouth of the Colorado. Subsequently, enough uh, traffic and trade was generated to justify putting shallow draft steamers on the Colorado. Isn't that interesting? Because we think about, you know, you, you, at the mouth of the Colorado. Uh, you go down there, and I've not been to that area, but um, I have a pretty good idea of what it looks like because I've been to other types of uh, well, it do, it areas that are like that. It doesn't look today like it looked no, there. No, 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 it's desert. But it, there was, it was an estuary. There, mm-hmm. there was, uh, uh, the waters were, I mean, it, it was everywhere. Per- everywhere, but it, it was perfect. Breeding grounds for everything mm-hmm. and anything. It's great agriculture area for it, the indigenous. Man, they, they, yeah, they they thrive. Here's one of the things too is people don't realize, but the delta was is one of the largest deltas in the world. Yeah, it, it, it's up there with the Euphrates, with yep. the Mississippi. Yeah. It, I mean, it was major. And and thankfully, things are starting to uh, return for the delta. Water is starting to flow once again. Uh, an article out of the Los Angeles Times, if we're to believe them, from uh, uh, when did this come out? Uh, from 2022, suggests that uh, water is being flowing once again into the uh, to the mouth there, uh, down by the uh, Sea it's of Cortez. It's still trickling pretty much, but they're getting it's more. It's a trickle. They have an allotment, but everything's up in the air now because the water, yeah. the water contracts. All have expired, and the other states can agree. So what's happening is the government's probably going to step in, oh, which will really screw it up. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Nobody will have any water. You, you ever been to the the origin of the Mississippi, the mouth of the Mississippi up, of Minnesota? Up in Wisconsin or Minnesota? Minnesota, Minnesota. Minnesota yeah. I'd love to go up there. That, you know, that country, this is just, uh, digressing, but that country had one of the largest uh, 
hardwood forest in yep. the world oh, yeah. until the lumberjacks denuded yeah. it. And that's why they had all the flooding on the Mississippi. Well, uh, I went, uh, my one of my wife's relatives lived up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and we went to the mouth of the Mississippi, and you could step over it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like, you know... All right, one step, foot on each side. I know, step over the muddy Mississippi. Yeah. Todd Roberts, you got anything you want to throw in here? Well, I, you know, bringing up the Mississippi is where my mind was because, you know, um, we see so often and heard, heard stories and seen it in films. You know, it's in the beginning of uh, how the West was one, being river pirates uh, and or river pirates that were stationary that mm-hmm. ran trading posts uh, on the river um, and you know in contrast I don't think we see that on the Colorado River as much I'm sure there had to have been some thievery oh, yeah. and malfeasance but not anywhere near to the degree that we saw it on the Colorado on the Mississippi because it, it's based on commerce the more commerce you have the more opportunists you will see right. with ill intentions and ill motives. Exactly. And people were flowing across the Mississippi, yep. and they were trickling across the Colorado. Well, yeah, right. I, right. The Mississippi was a major artery there, and, and, and it was lots of major border to the west, and lots of people settled along the Mississippi. So, yeah, yeah. you can expect that. Not yeah. the same though with the Colorado because lots of people did not settle. that was hospitable, yeah. Yeah, the only people that were settled were the Apache. Yeah, and they were nowhere uh, near the Colorado. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, and they didn't. Re- they really, really were not interesting. You know, when you know the old joke about uh, from the Twilight Zone when the alien comes to Earth and gives the book titled How to Serve Man. Mm, yeah. And everyone's thinking, oh my goodness. Pride for they're the here to serve world. us. And, and they they find out it's a it's a cookbook for humans. Right. Of human beings. Well you know And that's what you would have encountered with the Apache. Yep. Well you know one of the interesting things with the beginning of commerce not commerce, but people traveling up and they were coming for the for minerals and for opportunity. Uh, they could go up the river as far as, uh, or is it La Paz, more than 100 miles north of Yuma. And when the river was high, they could go as far as Calville in southern Nevada. Uh, the early army posts were the biggest market for the early uh, steamboats. In fact, they were the only market. Well, yeah, because they, they were, were being contract, supplied. Government contracts. Yeah, they were being supplied with beef and, and other supplies. So, yeah, definitely, no question about that. Now, this is digressing, but it also has to do with commerce. The first organized semi-public transportation in southern Arizona was the San Antonio and San Diego mail line, and that was 1857, and that was all because you paid, so that was a form of commerce. If you wanted to get a, a, a letter or a package, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know that was one of the earliest commerces. Now, the state of Arizona, you mentioned this, is, lies almost entirely within the Colorado uh, River drainage basin. The uh, east of the Colorado trade uh, depended on pack animals and freight uh, mm-hmm. wagons. That's where the gold waters made their fortune. Yeah, big time. All right, we're going to do our first commercial break here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Booker to France, Todd Roberts with you. We're sailing the Colorado talking about Arizona River commerce. On the show, we'll be right back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback. 
adventure, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I, Miss Wilkinson, is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Watch Old West silent movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? You're darn to... I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. We have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Come right in, gents, and check your guns. You check your guns here. Not my guns. Oh, we can't make any exceptions, boys. Two gunmen are too valuable to kill each other off. I'm hungry, Joe. It's all right. Everybody else has checked. Well, you can do it, Blackie, but I'll get my groceries elsewhere. I never heard of a gent starving to death in a settlement, but I know plenty of parties has died from a bad case of empty holster. This is the Voices of the West. Now Dan was born at an early age in good old New York town. He learned to ride the wildest bronco of them all on the merry-go-round. Six-gun Dan was an old cow hand, the wild and rough galoot. His finger was quicker than your eye could flicker when he started in to shoot. Now Six-gun Dan and some gas... We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. Our topic today, we're sailing the Colorado River, uh, talking about Arizona River commerce back in the back in the day. Steamboat whistle. <laughs> back in the day, I, I should have gotten. Some you know, I was just listening to that last thing, and I was just wondering, you know, yep. how many who died? Whether more people died of food poisoning or lead poisoning in the West? I'm thinking lead poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Empty holster. Empty well, holsters. You know, moving on here. Uh, you know, entering the 1870s. Uh, which was after the establishment of the steamboat trade, the biggest uh, obstacle to progress was hostile Indians and transportation. Well, in the transportation, in terms of the river... Uh, that was major. It, yeah, because one year the river might be up, and one year the river might be down. Like the stock market. And if you, the river is down, you ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And if the river's up, glory be. <laughs> well, here we go. It's in terms of access to Arizona via rivers and streams, freight passengers had to be able to reach the western boundary of Arizona by boat. And since 1852, when the first steamboat uh, service was established, and you think, but, you know, we, people don't think about, you know, that there was a major amount of sail travel and steamboat travel up and down the California course, Oh, yeah. Down to La Paz. Yeah. Back up. Uh, Wymus was already a port. Yep. You know, and there was a lot of a lot of going, a lot more going on. <laughs> lots, and there were a lot more steamboats around thing, than people big, think about. Big doings going yeah. on, yes, now, indeed. This is kind of a side note. Uh, towed barges on the lower Colorado. Uh, and here's, here's a list of some of them. They actually had names on them. It was the Black Crook. It operated from 1864 to 1880. There was the White Fawn, 
barge number one, number two, number three, number four. Uh, there was the pumpkin seed. I love the name of that. <laughs> uh, the Silas J. Lewis and the Enterprise. And the barges played a, a very important because they could they increase the amount of tonnage you could pull up the river. And it wasn't cheap to uh, send stuff oh, no. up the river. It was, uh, what, $500 a ton? Uh, uh, and, I mean... I think that's still a lot of money. <laughs> Some yeah. people may not. Well, even any time, you know, then or now, it's a lot of money, especially when people didn't have it. Yeah, but, I mean, that that is a lot of money for shipping. Yeah. And, and, and of course, we know that the, the demise of the, of, of the uh, steamship uh, and paddle wheelers uh, on the Colorado um, is because of the train. Yeah, and the trains came in. Now, the first steamboat on the Colorado was a side-wheel paddle steamboat designed by Dominic Macusi uh, in was eight, uh, what was June 1862. Uh, segments of the 65-foot-long uh, steamer were delivered to the Colorado Delta on November of that year. It was reassembled and launched in an estuary 30 miles north of the delta. That's one of the things, too, is they didn't do it at the mouth. They did it upriver where they had I, the, the current that, was that, working. That is really interesting where the, the, the sailing ship that is coming from the ports in California or wherever, and uh, they're, they're wanting to get to the interior, so they come up the Gulf of California, and they unload their stuff at Port Isabel or uh, somewhere in that vicinity, and then it's taken up river mm-hmm. to another location where a boat is being built to handle that traffic. Yeah, I mean, wow. Well, this is the that first steamboat was called the Uncle Sam. Yep, it was twenty. It had a twenty horsepower engine. 20 horsepower, imagine that, could only carry 35 pounds of supplies. Uh, It took 15 days to make its first 120-mile trip up to Fort Yuma, and due to carelessness, the Uncle Sam, uh, at a later date, sunk at the dock at Fort Yuma, and before they could refloat it, was washed away in the spring flood of 1853. Hey, it beats walking. 12 days, I'll take 12 days on the river versus walking. (laughs) Now, the largest steamboat of the era was the Kokopah. It was launched in August of 1859. It was a stern wheel paddle steamer. It was the fifth steamboat to work to Colorado. It could carry up to 100 tons and, and, and against the strongest river currents. It was 140 feet long, 29 feet wide, with a draft of 19 inches. Yeah, you had in That's order. That's below the knee. I know. It, in order to uh, traverse, in order to traverse the Colorado, because of how shallow it is, the the vessels had to draft uh, very, very, very small. Now this is this is kind of an interesting footnote to history here. The Uncle Sam was retired in 1867. The boiler and the engine were removed, and the Cocopaw was moved ashore at Port Isabel and became a uh, dwelling for workers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it kept going. Now, in 18, affordable housing. Yeah, in 1857, recycling at its best. There you go. Yeah, there you go. In 1857, the U.S. Army Corps of Topographical Engineers was assigned to explore the Colorado up above the fort. And after reassembly at Rogers' Landing in Baja, the steamship Explorer, which was also a steel hold steamboat, was launched December 30. December of 30th, uh, 1857. It transferred to Colorado to just above Fort Yuma and then from there to uh, Nevada's Las Vegas wharfs near Pleasant Day, Las Vegas Bay. Hmm. Now, this, this is some history on on the fort itself. Uh, it was on the California side of the uh, Colorado. It was first established in 1848 New Mexico Territory, south of the Gila River, on the east side, but it was moved to the west, moved to the west bank, in 1851. It was established during the Yuma War, and you know I didn't realize, but there was 
you know, there were some pretty famous Indian wars for the day on the Colorado. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, and then it was it was difficult to supply during the early years with streamboats. Uh, Fort Yuma became a major supply depot for the Southwest until the arrival of the railroad in 1877, and the Yuma Quartermaster Depot was on the Arizona side and operated between 1864 and 1891, and they had to carry six months of supplies enough for all of the U.S. military operations in the Southwest. Good you grief. imagine how big that was? Wow. And that was the major thing. Hmm. Now, the first commercial people coming in there was uh, George A. Johnson and Company. It was a partnership of three men, uh, Benjamin M. Hart, who was the president of the company, George Alonzo Johnson, and Alex H. Wilcox. And all these men played major, major roles in the history of the Colorado and became quite wealthy. And they formed their, company, their country and the company in the fall of 1852, and then was reorganized uh, as the Colorado Steam Navigation Company. Now, let's see, guys, you guys got anything you want to throw in there? No, we're, I'm just happy listening to you. <laughs> Todd, you got something you want to throw in there? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, as uh, convenient as it was that you could take a steamboat from San Francisco all the way up into... Uh, Colorado um, by way of the Gulf of Baja you're, the biggest problem with the steamboat as, as for freighting as opposed to a train was the boat could sink and you could lose everything mm -hmm. yeah. And whereas the train didn't have that issue of course and the stagecoach wasn't big enough so um, you know you could see the writing on the wall here and the trains really took things to a whole new level. Um, obviously, uh, it was a lot more pleasant to be on a boat, and uh, you could gamble and, and, and so on and so forth, but, you know, its days were limited, but it was obviously a lot more, shall I say, aesthetically pleasing. Well, to add to that, too, people forget that at that time, Fort Yuma was one of the most remote and difficult places to reach in the United States pre Railroad, so that you know, right. it was like it was like oh, it was a monopoly on how to get there. It was either freighters and the freight, you know, where it would cost you two hundred dollars a ton on the mm -hmm. steamboat, it was six hundred and fifty dollars mm -hmm. a ton on the freighters. It was a pimple on the bad side of the earth. Yes, yes. <laughs> All well, right, we're going to take our next. Hang on, Todd. We're going to take our next commercial break here. Uh, here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, we'll be right back talking. River transport. Can you imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trans and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 skeet fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights you out there come one step near and old best here'll spit right in your eye so you need to strike your own deal but you need the right henchman to do the job the stage is hauling a wells fargo box loaded with gold you've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold but blank henchman to pull off the job what to do you better start packing a handgun Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scrappy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. 
When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our rent henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. Hello, my name is Travis Mills and I make westerns and you're listening to Voices of the West. Francie's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bugger to France, and Todd Roberts with you. Uh, it's Saturday. We're streaming to you live from the uh, White Stallion Ranch. Our topic today, we're sailing to Colorado, talking about um, transportation on the Colorado River and uh, commerce on the Colorado, which there was a lot of. Yeah, yeah you know, we're just sitting here at the, at the dock watching the, the steamboats pulling in here to this White Stallion. You know, uh... It's amazing. Yeah. It is. It is. I want to go into a little background here on, on uh, uh, Johnson and Harshorn. They established the uh, ferry crossing at the Yuma Crossing and later sold it. Then they were able to get the uh, supply contract for the fort, and they started in February 1852 at the mouth of the Colorado with a pair of knockdown flatboats. Hmm. Now, a knockdown flatboat basically is you've got to put it together. Yeah. And anyhow, they assembled and they were able to carry 250 tons of supply up the river. There was one problem, though. The first barge sunk with all of its uh, cargo, and after a very long struggle, they finally pulled up to the Fort Yuma. And I think that was the beginning of the idea that maybe some other form of power might work. <laughs> now, James Turbull was the first steamboat captain, captain on the Colorado, and his voyages supplying the Army proved uh, that the Colorado was a navigable and a, it was doable. Mm-hmm. Now, Johnson and Company, they bought and reassembled the General Jessup. That was the second steamboat launched on the Colorado a more powerful side-wheeler that could carry 50 tons and could be to the round trip in four or five days. Uh, the only boiler accident in the history of the whole Colorado happened to the Jessup in August of 54, and by December of 54, the boat was up and running again. Hmm. Now, the uh, Colorado steam-wheeler was the third steamboat on the uh, on the river and the first stern wheeler on the river and that was in December of 1855 it could carry 70 tons and it grew only two feet of water so Hmm. apparently it didn't have the it had a deeper draft than some of the others okay what we got here now here's one the Esmeralda was a stern wheeler was the first opposition boat on the river meaning that uh, Another company, the Union Line, was established, and it was also the first to tow large cargo barges. Uh, The Union Line was owned by Thomas Trueworthy. The Esmeralda's captain was Charles C. Overman, who plays an important part in the history. And he built the Black Crook, which was the first of the tow bridges, tow boat bridges, tow barges. And it was 128 feet by 28 feet, and capable of carrying 100 tons of freight. So between the two of them, you know, you're probably talking like about 250 or more tons. Hmm. Now, this is a, well, there's kind of a sad note. Uh, Mexico, uh, the Mexican Colorado Navigation Company operated on the Colorado from 1901 to 7. It had three steamboats, the Reda, the St. Valier, and the San Jorge, but they couldn't make it because uh, just the way commerce worked, they got froze out. Uh, Johnson and Company, what they would do is they would cut prices. Uh, they had control of all the wood yards up and down the river. 
so that the other guys, when they were going up, they had to stop, cut wood, load the barge, mm-hmm. and go on up. Whereas they controlled, and they large, several large uh, hog, hog suppliers, I guess. That's and they, they were burning mesquite mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I've read it. This is a lot of words here. A lot of words. Yeah, it's getting, the print is getting close to the paper, is it? Mm, it's starting to strobe off. <laughs> well, you know, the, the, uh, the closing of the Colorado, if such a thing is even possible, and I suspect it is because it says so right in this article I'm reading. Um, <laughs> what does it say? Well, basically it says, <clears throat> excuse me, that around uh, the turn of the century, 1890s to 1900s, um, the Colorado was being rerouted in order to bring more water into the Imperial Valley mm-hmm. in California. Irrigation. And, uh, right. So there, they dre- there were there was a dredge that was in there and doing all the uh, dredging stuff that it needed to do sure. in order to make that happen. Well, so, you know, that's it. That's because we did, uh, I, I, in the research looking at stuff, uh, on the Salt River, uh, they talked about the canals and the importance of the canals, and that goes all the way back to prehistory. Sure. But... That was a form of commerce in the sense only that it it uh, it supplied water to grow. It wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't transportation. Yeah. Now here's this is an interest this is an interesting story here. This is uh, Helen Sargent describes uh, crossing the Salt River during a stormy season, and this is the fair, kind of a ferry crossing story. Freighting in those days of rough roads and without bridges presented some difficult options. At times, between Maricopa and Phoenix, both the Gila and the Salt River had to be crossed. My father told us how on one occasion, when he was lucky enough that only the salt was in flood, he was able to hire teamsters and equipment to haul his freight from Maricopa to the Salt River, where he got Indians to ferry the goods across the river in canoes, then he moved it from there to Prescott. Hmm. So, you know, it, it was... I guess some forms of commerce, you know, now I wouldn't call it commerce, but I guess, you know, money changed hands, and it was transportation. Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the early names for the uh, Colorado from the Spaniards was Rio de los Basas, and that was because of the many balsa or rafts they saw on the Colorado, which, you know, I hadn't thought about that. There was a lot of lot of stuff floating on the Colorado. <laughs> The, uh, this is an interesting Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah. <laughs> a Quechan vessel, which they were one of the major tribes, uh, uh, is described as a large pottery vessel which were used to ferry goods and children from one bank to the other with a swimmer pushing it uh, in front of him. It was described as a about four feet wide. And now another common vessel that was used by the, the indigenous folk back then was uh, woven from willow twigs into a basket shape and waterproof with bitium and uh, uh, plant sap. Now, they were also conventional vessels like rafts made of reeds or logs. And and the fur traders, they, 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 I like this part, the fur traders, they built their boats and they were called uh, bull boats because they took one buffalo bull hide to make it. Hmm. I guess they didn't use cows. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I don't know where that went. <laughs> <laughs> now, lead, leading ports were scattered throughout the Mexican uh, state of Sonora and territory of ba- uh, Baja, and in California, Nevada, and Arizona, New Mexico territory. Uh, steamboats traveled Colorado tributaries in Utah and Wyoming on the Green River, the Glen Canyon among the uh, and along the Grand River, and these were collectively referred to as the Upper Colorado. And I saw pictures of some of them. But Lee's Ferry, there was a steamboat. Mm-hmm. And it was just a little teeny tiny. But it was, you know, it was powered by steam. Yep. And we forget that. You know, it's like there were tons of steamboats of all sizes. Of all sizes. And, <clears throat> you know, the Colorado wasn't the, <clears throat> pardon me, the only river, uh, obviously, in Arizona that had any kind of commerce. The Gila had some commerce on it. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but I'm going to throw it out there, but I'm, I'm going to guess that uh, many of the other rivers in Arizona, not the Santa Cruz, <laughs> but maybe the San Pedro might have had some well, commerce you know, on it. there was a time, 
because it flows the opposite north. way. It, it took it goes it took north. to the Gila, which was, yeah, you know, it goes uh, from Mexico on up. Yeah, so that might have something to do with it. Well, here, this, you know, this is something we didn't. It's one of the problems of navigating the Colorado. Well, let's see, uh, extreme tides in the estuary and strong currents, shifting sandbars, low water, snags, tidal bore. That was the one that fascinated me. All the titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because basically <clears throat> it's when the tide would come in on the delta, mm-hmm. it would push the Colorado River back up river, mm-hmm. and that was a good time to not to be on the river. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Todd? So you also had, uh, you know, um, an interesting thing. There was there were little settlements that popped up along the river, indeed, such as uh, Height City in 1883, which was named after a prominent prospector by the name of Cass Height, but it only lasted seven years. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, and as you know, you hear the old term so often. This is just a glorified mining camp. And you had a lot of those up and down the river, you know. Um, they were looking for gold. Sometimes they only found placer gold. And, you know, uh, then guys would start to drift out, and eventually the, the town's days were numbered. Well, and they even brought in a dredger uh, to dredge mm-hmm. the bottom of the Colorado yeah. because they thought they would find some gold that way. And uh, that didn't work, of yeah. course, uh, but, you know. Well, here's, here's, this is, I mentioned it earlier, I'm going to go a little more detail now about the wood yard uh, landings above uh, Robinson Landings. The, the first one was 40 miles north at Port Famine, then there was Gridon, 17 miles north, and then there was Ogden, uh, 28 miles above Gridiron, Bedricks at 23 north, Ogden Lagney, and then you was 31 miles up to Fort Yuma. And so that was that was one of the key keys to having a successful operation was being able to uh, have wood for your things. And so I have a, I have a feeling there was a lot of especially along uh, the banks there an awful lot of trees were cut down, which would probably contribute to erosion and sandbars and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, yeah, you're changing you're changing the ecosystem. Now here's another. This is one of the ones I thought. But really interesting is that the uh, schooners, which would bring cargoes up to Wymus and uh, and uh, all the other mm-hmm. ports and Robinson's Landing, they would not they would not touch the shore. They would offload in the middle of the delta mm-hmm. to the cargo so that they wouldn't have to pay landing duties <laughs> to the Mexicans. <laughs> yeah, I've right. had to really chap their hides. I'm sure it did. You damn gringos, you do this to us again. <laughs> on that note, we're going to take our last commercial break. Here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, we're talking the Colorado River and commerce. Harry Alexander, Bucket of France, and Todd Roberts will be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. All right, listeners, you like Westerns, right? I mean, you do listen to this program. So you want a chance to tell the rest of the world which Westerns you think are the best? I'm always ready to back up whatever I say. Here's how. Email us your picks for your top five Westerns. Tell us why you think those five are the best cowboy movies. You got any more you want to say on the subject? Each month, we'll pick one entry and offer you the chance to talk about your choices as a guest on our live stream and resulting podcast of the Voices of the West program. Pretty simple, right? We want to hear from you. We have our men scouring the valley. Email your list to bestwesterns, voicesofthewest at gmail.com. I guess that's all we need to hear. Look at that. El Coyote Ralph's Rustlers. When I took you into this deal, I thought you were tough. Now you let one masked man make fools of the lot of you. He may be afraid to show his face, but he throws lead like it was coming out of a Gatlin gun. And you ought to see his eyes. Give you the creeps. If I want anything done right around here, I have to do it myself. This is the Voices of the West. I'm just a tumbleweed cowboy. A cloud is the roof for my head. I rock along in the saddle all day. The cool prairie grass is my bed. We're back on Emil Franzi's Voices Who's of the that? West. That's Todd singing along there, I think, with Ray Whitley. Who is that? <laughs> Ray Whitley in there is oh, just a tumbleweed cowboy, and uh, I think Todd Roberts was accompanying there. Harry Alexander, Booker to well, back know. with you. Yes? Hey, Todd. The, the, the song can grab me sometimes. You, you know, know I, it Where did I, it grab you? It, well, and uh, again, I'm, I apologize for having to cut you off there uh, for the commercial break. So if you can retrain or, or regain your Re- thought retrain there. Retrain yourself. <laughs> regain your thought. Well, I was just, you know, it's interesting how the commerce has changed because it's now, it's now gone. Um, the big money is in tourism. On the oh yeah, right. Yeah, you know, my golly. Yeah, so between rafting and, and river rafting and the houseboats and the camping on the beach there, mm-hmm. tubing. Um, you know, it's tubing, and it's just it's drastically changed, but. Uh, Maybe even more sustainable than it was before. Hey, Todd. Interesting. What, yes, ta- talk a little bit about steamboat movies, like you know, like the Maverick thing and some of the other ones. Because you're you're a steamboat river movie guy. <laughs> well, I love steamboats, um, and I've got a lot of friends uh, who used to do all the steamboats up and down the Mississippi River. Um, And, you know, I just I always kind of found it interesting that, you know, the steamboat uh, was so the interesting part about it is you can go up and down the river, Mm -hmm. whereas so often you could only go down the river to go up was a lot more effort. But with the steamboat, you didn't have to. So when you see films like uh, Bender the River with Jimmy Stewart, Mm -hmm. uh, 
and that steamboat, it's up in Portland, you know, in Oregon, and and uh, the steamboat captain says, I never should have left the Mississippi. That's uh, <laughs> Tubby Johnson. Uh, yeah. He says that line about 12 times. <laughs> you know, and of course, Maverick and, um, uh, you know, the beginning of the Comancheros and uh, well, all and the these films. And, and the television series Riverboat, Darren McGavin and uh, Burt Reynolds. Yeah, well, and, you know... It's amazing that the riverboat was, although short-lived, it, it had a big, it had a big role and a part in the West, even though you don't associate it with the West because you think it's only as far uh, west as the Mississippi. But it was on other, many other rivers throughout and waterways throughout the United States. Well, and it would have had to have been because it, it, steam was the only way to power. Yeah. Any kind of a vessel, if you uh, unless you used oars, sails, so, so, or yeah. sail, yeah. so there would have yeah. to, there would it would have to be a steamboat. You well, know, you know, you know that got me thinking. You know, you, you take the, all of the folks coming over from Europe, especially from Texas, with being settled, they would land on the East Coast somewhere, make their way to the Mississippi, go down the Mississippi, and then from New Orleans by schooner to uh, Galveston and whatnot. But down to Mississippi, most of them were traveling the steamboats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a major. And, you know, it, it, and as Todd mentioned, you know, the tourism today, the Mississippi uh, steamboat tours, that's big time. That oh, yeah. Big, oh, big business. and luxurious. Yeah. Oh, very luxurious and expensive. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can spend serious money uh, going on a trip and... and uh, there's a lot of them that have themes. You know, there's there's ones that are themed uh, where every night is a uh, an antebellum ball. Mm-hmm. And everyone dresses mm-hmm. up as Confederate and uh, uh, Union uh, soldiers, and the women dress in antebellum gowns. Oh, and cool. you know, it's it's it. You know, Stephen Marcy Shaw, our friends, who I've tried to get on the show. Um, but unfortunately, they 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 retired from their trip. They they had a travel agency, and they put, put, put took people on tours yeah. up and down the Mississippi for years and years. Yeah, we wouldn't have Mark Twain if it wasn't for steamboats. There you go. That's right. And the name Mark Twain is you mark the Twain in the river. And that's uh, it's a form of steering. It's not his name. Samuel Clements was his name. And uh, some Sam. of my favorite things of all time, such as, if there is no smoking in heaven, I shall not go. <laughs> <laughs> all or, right. Well, the coldest winter I ever spent was the summer I spent in San Francisco. There you go. Uh, that's it for uh, this particular topic about steamboats and you traveling the Colorado the River. Next time we get together on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, it's going to be another good one. Todd Roberts, tell us about our guest, Leah Garcia. Leroy Garcia is just, uh, to me, is the embodiment of the West. He grew up on a on a sixth-generation cattle ranch that his grandfather ran at the time in New Mexico. Uh, came through a Spanish land grant uh, and has now kind of gone in a different direction in his family, which is he has opened up one of the most interesting and, uh, shall I say, progressive uh, in its marketing of Amer- uh, American Indian art in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Not just American Indian, but a Latin American art, uh, Hispanic uh, uh, art, uh, Spanish market art, uh, and he's marketing it. And he has a gallery inside one of these big buildings where the train station, uh, or not the train station, but the rail yards, uh-huh. it was a storage bin, and he's taken that over and has got his gallery in there, cool. and uh, it's a family affair, his daughter works with him, his wife is a tremendous artist, he carries her art, and it's just, it's really a beautiful place, Nolan and I were there last August for Indian Market, and we went there, and I'll tell you, his his collection of stuff is fabulous. It's all for sale. And he's just an interesting, smart guy. And I really look forward to the show. And I so we're, we're going to be talking art, art next time. 
<clears throat> so that means that you I will. We have to have a glass of wine and a beret. Now you guys can, but that means I'm going to shut the hell up and listen to what you guys have no, to say because no, I don't know squat. Just look at look at some of the pictures. Hey, and, and, and as the great comments. kinky as the great kinky Friedman once said, art is in the eyes of the beer holder. And uh, I'll be holding a beer, okay? <laughs> oh, you should be a, well, should uh, be a glass as, of beer. As my parents always said, you know, uh, art, uh, the, only re- the only time you buy art is when it speaks to you. There you go. Mm-hmm. So that's a simple rule to stay, th- to, to, to stay safe with. All right. That's it for this edition of Abel Francie's Voices of the West. Thank you for joining us. 78, 79, 80 twins. It's too deep. (laughs) We'll talk at you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Abel Francie's Voices of the West. 